Turn with me tonight in your Bibles to the Epistle of Paul to Titus. If you go to First and Second Timothy, you'll come to Titus. Titus chapter 1, we're going to read from verse 1. We're going to read the whole of the chapter. Let's hear the word of God. Reading, of course, from the authorized version. Those online, the words will come up on screen, but as I've said before, we encourage you to get a copy of the Bible and follow the reading. If you haven't got a copy of the Bible and would like one, please feel free to contact us and we'll be happy to supply that need. Let's hear the word of God together. Paul, a servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ, according to the faith of God's elect and the acknowledging of the truth which is after godliness in hope of eternal life, which God that cannot lie promised before the world began. But hath in due times manifested his word through preaching, which is committed unto me according to the commandment of God our Saviour, to Titus, mine own son after the common faith, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ our Saviour. For this cause left I thee in Crete, that thou shouldest set in order the things that are wanting, and ordain elders in every city as I had appointed thee. If any be blameless, the husband of one wife, having faithful children, not accused of riot or unruly, for a bishop must be blameless as the steward of God, not self-willed, not soon angry, not given to wine, no striker, not given to filthy lucre, but are a lover of hospitality, a lover of good men, sober, just, holy, temperate, holding fast the faithful word as he hath been taught, that he may be able by sound doctrine both to exhort and to convince the gainsayers. For there are many unruly and vain talkers and deceivers, especially they of the circumcision, whose mouths must be stopped, who subvert whole houses, teaching things which they ought not for filthy lucre's sake. One of themselves, even a prophet of their own, said, the Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, slow bellies. This witness is true. Wherefore rebuke them sharply, that they may be sound in the faith, not giving heed to Jewish fables and commandments of men, that turn from the truth. Unto the pure all things are pure, but unto them that are defiled and unbelieving is nothing pure, but even their mind and conscience is defiled. They profess that they know God, but in works they deny him, being abominable and disobedient, and unto every good work reprobate. Now my text tonight is found in Titus chapter 1 and verse 2. In verse 2 we read, In hope of eternal life which God that cannot lie promised before the world began. Now this evening I want us to focus on the words, 
in hope of eternal life. I believe this is a wonderful, simple statement, and yet a very sublime, profound statement. It's so simple that the children would be able to understand and grasp it. And yet so sublime, you could write a whole theological, doctrinal book just in this one phrase, in hope of eternal life. See, the Apostle Paul is writing a very short letter to a fellow minister called Titus. Titus and the Apostle Paul had visited the island of Crete, and a number of New Testament churches were formed there. A number of Jews and Gentiles were gloriously born again out of Crete's pagan culture. And the Apostle Paul, when he was leaving the island, he left Titus behind to sort out some problems in these infant, we'll call them struggling churches. Paul wanted them to be strong. He wanted them to get a good foothold for Christ and the gospel despite the pagan culture, despite the presence of false teachers and false teachers. Now, Crete is an island, 160 miles long, about 7 to 35 miles wide in places, and is situated in the southern tip of Greece in the Mediterranean Sea. I've never been there, but I'm sure it's a lovely place to go to for a holiday. However, the Cretan people had acquired a very bad reputation. Paul cites one of their poets, a man by the name of Epimendus. Listen to what he says in chapter 1 and verse 12. One of themselves, even a, a prophet of their own, said, The Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, slow bellies. In other words, they were lazy gluttons. And Paul is displaying here their chief reputation among men. And yet into that pagan culture, with this chief reputation for this lifestyle, the wonderful sovereign grace of God, the power of the gospel, had taken root. And I had no doubt that the Christians had been present in Jerusalem on the day of Pentecost, where they heard the disciples speak in the Christian language, the wonderful works of God. I have no doubt that there and then some were converted that day upon hearing Peter preach the gospel. They later went home to plant the seed of the gospel. And here's Paul on a missionary journey along with Titus. He's leaving the island and Titus is left behind. Sadly, certain Jews were making life difficult for the Christians. They were promoting false doctrine. And Titus, by the grace of God, had a great reputation for dealing with difficult problems in the church. So Paul left him there to help get the church on a solid footing. So he writes to him this short letter. I want you to think of Titus in Crete along with the people of God. And here's the theme of the letter. How to live out the gospel in a pagan world. And to me, that's the summary of the whole book. God's people, who were genuinely and truly saved, must, by the grace of God, engage in godly deeds, evidence, fruit of salvation, as they labor for Christ under the authority of the local church. Verses 1 to 4 forms the introduction to the letter. It's a lengthy introduction. It's full of instruction. 
full of wonderful truths. Each truth could be expanded upon as we enter further into the letter. But tonight we're just examining one theme. And I've broken it up into constituent parts. That theme is in hope of eternal life. I want you to think of a number of things. I want you to think of the fact of the hope of eternal life. In hope. See, some people imagine that hope contains the idea of doubt. It's wishful thinking. I hope to do this and that. So I could say, well, I hope to visit Crete this week. Well, I would be not be going to Crete. I, I'd be wishful thinking on my part. Or I could say, well, I, I hope to do this and that. And I wish to go here and go there, but never get round to doing this and that. I hope I get this job that I've applied for, but there's no realistic expectation that I will. I, I could say, well, I hope I win the lottery. Well, well, I won't because that's gambling. It's sin before the Lord. I hope it doesn't rain tomorrow or I hope it doesn't snow next week. Well, again, we have no uh, realistic expectation that that desire would come to pass. You see, it doesn't mean that. I know that when we use the word hope, that's the way we use it. But how men use hope and how God the Holy Ghost uses hope is two different things. You see, when God uses the word hope, there's 133 references to the word hope in the, the Bible. The word hope here means to look to the future with a confident expectation. It points to God's covenant faithfulness in relation to his presence, his promises, and his power. It also means to wait on the Lord with a humble confidence and trust in him alone. Listen to the word of God in Psalm 42, verse 5. Why art thou cast down, O my soul, and why art thou disquieted within me? Hope thou in God, for I shall yet praise him for the help of his countenance. What does that mean, hope thou in God? It means look to the future with a confident expectation. It points us to God's covenant faithfulness of his promise, his presence, his power. It means to wait on the Lord with a humble, confident trust in him. If we were to turn there to another psalm, Psalm 130, it says in verse 7, let Israel hope in the Lord means exactly the same thing. For with the Lord there's mercy and with him is plenty of redemption. For he shall redeem Israel from his iniquities. And you see, the children of Israel, they were taken up with God's covenant faithful promise. And they fixed their heart and mind on that promise on its certainty and on the centrality of all that God had promised. And at the heart of God's promise was Christ. Remember Galatians 4 and 4? But when the fullness of the time was come, God sent forth his Son. How? Made of a woman. Made under the law. For what purpose? To redeem them that were under the law. That we might receive, listen to this, the adoption of sons. And in the New Testament, as it begins to unfold, you've got the unfolding and you've got the full revelation of all that God promised in relation to Christ. And that promise, as I'm telling you from the first gospel promise, Genesis 3, 15, all the way through 
to Galatians 4 and 4, centered in God's Son. And over there in the book of Colossians, and remember we preached in this as we preached through Colossians 1, to whom God would make known what is the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. You see, Christ is our hope. And remember that Paul was able to say, for in him, that's in Christ, all the promises of God are yea and amen. You see, it's not just you've got an idea. It's not just you've got a concept. It's not that you've got a feeling and you sense that something good is going to happen. Isn't there a song about that? Um, something good is going to happen. I, I can't sing it. I, I can't even hum it. But, but that's not what this hope's about. It's richer. It's deeper. It's greater. It's better. Because there's a confident expectation of this thing happening because it's rooted in God's faithful covenant promise. That's the fact of this hope to eternal life. I want you to notice secondly and quickly, I want you to think of the focus of our hope. Because if it's true, and I believe it is, it's factual, that Christ is our hope of eternal life. And remember, we live in a pagan world with a pagan culture all around us, the power of sin, the power of Satan and evil. We, we face trials and temptation. We, we face temptation to sin. We, 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 we are alive to all the problems and perplexities of life. We live with difficulty and disappointment, disaster. We've got disease on the one hand, we have death on the other. And yet, how can we face all of that? Here's the answer. Christ is our hope. You see, whenever you've got a, a sovereign God on the throne who tells us that Christ is our hope, then you can see a way through despite the trial and trouble, despite the problems and the pressures of life. You, you can see a light in the valley. In fact, the Bible talks about a door of hope in the valley of Achor. A door of hope. Christ is that door by looking to him, by waiting to him, by, by having a confident expectation. He will fulfill all that he has promised. You see, if I think of the Christian life, some people have this mindset that I can't have a certain expectation of eternal life until after I'm dead. And whenever I die, God will give me eternal life. But it's not, I hope when I die to get eternal life. It's not, I hope one day to gain eternal life. It's not even, I hope to be granted by God one day eternal life. See, some people have this mindset that there, there's a test and if you're worthy, if you've passed the test, if you've been approved, then you're granted the fulfillment of this promise. But, but that's not the concept. That should not be your focus. You're, remember, outside of Christ without hope. You're dead in sin. You're darkened because of sin. You're diseased by sin. 
But in Christ, you've got the hope of eternal life. And that's promised now. But it's not only promised, it's possessed now. Remember John 3 and 16? For God, what? So loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have, what? Everlasting life. And remember John says in John chapter 3 and in the uh, verse um, 36, he made a tremendous statement. He that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life. And he that believeth not the Son shall not see life. But the wrath of God abideth on him. If you're in Christ and Christ in you is the hope of glory then the focus of that hope is what is promised is possessed now. You're not waiting until the judgment day to find out if you're worthy and brought into heaven and given this gift. You're not waiting at the door of heaven to see if Peter would maybe let you in. I don't know where this idea of Peter at the door of heaven ever come from. I, I feel it's a crude, a crude form of, of Roman Catholicism. Peter, of course, they teach us the, the, the Pope. So you've got to think of the Pope at the door of heaven admitting worthy candidates. In. Well, that's not the picture. If you're born again, and if you've experienced remission of sins... And there was a day and time in your life when you received Christ as Lord and Savior. Then listen to what the Apostle John says in John chapter 1 and verse 12. But as many as received him, they then give a power to become the sons of God. That word power means the right or the authority. Even to them that believe in his name, which were born not of blood. See, it's not hereditary. Nor of the will of the flesh. It's not of your own will. Nor of the will of man. It's not the will of the preacher and the parent, but of God. And the word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory. You see, if you wait till you die to find out if you've got eternal life, it'll be too late in that day. If you wait to that day, you'll have no hope. You'll have no assurance if you have not got Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, then you do not have this hope of glory. Christ is a promised Savior. Christ is a provided Savior. He's a personal Savior. He's a powerful Savior. And in him, if you've received him, you have this confident expectation of all that God has promised will be fulfilled, and listen to me carefully, will be fulfilled to the very latter. As you focus in this hope, think of this. He alone can deliver you from the penalty of sin, which is death. He alone breaks the power of canceled sin, sets the prisoner free. He alone takes the love of sinning out of your heart, takes away the very pleasure of sin. He alone can deliver you from fear of death. How many people are afraid to die? And yet Christ is the great deliverer. Listen to what the Apostle Paul says in Hebrews and in chapter 2 and verses 14 and 15. For as much then as children are partakers of flesh and blood, he also himself likewise took part of the same. Here's the reason, one of them, that through death, that's his death in the cross, he might destroy him that had the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver them who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. The very weapon that Satan used against man 
the fear of death. Christ as the great deliverer came and seized that and used it, his death on the cross, to destroy the devil, triumphing over him in his cross work. You don't have to fear death. I know that some ask that question, do you know fear death? Well, outside of Christ you should. Because the wages of sin is death. But listen, the gift of God that's in Christ is what? Eternal life. It's, it's promised. But glory to God is possessed now. Maybe you have a fear of meeting God in the judgment. Well, I've got wonderful news for you. Do you know whenever the angels sinned, God shut them up to eternal damnation. He never lifted a finger. He never stirred a thought to save one of those sinning angels. Yet in our fall into the state of sin and misery in Adam, God promised a saviour. Genesis 3 and 15. The seed of the woman would bruise the head of the serpent. Even though the serpent would strike at his heel. Some people ask me, well, what did God ever see in me to save me? I want to answer that. He seen nothing worthy. He saw that you were but dead in sin, a vile, hell-deserving sinner. And in free grace, he sought you out. In free grace, he bought you with the precious blood. In free grace, he brought you to the feet of Christ. Hymn writer said it was down at the feet of Jesus. Oh, the happy, happy day that my soul found peace in believing and my sins were washed away. This is all part of that confident expectation that in Christ God saves us from sin's penalty and sin's power and sin's pleasure. He takes away our fear of death. He takes away our fear of meeting God in the judgment. And could I add something else? Even when you die physically, and your, your, your corpse is placed in the casket. What happens to your soul? Your, your soul leaves the body. That's what death is. It's the giving up of the ghost. And that justified soul leaves the body. It's already made perfect in glory. You're seeing King Jesus face to face. This is what we call the intermediate state. And even that, that's not the end. Because there's more. And this should be our focus there's a, a resurrection state that's coming. At the last trump, when Christ returns in power and glory, there's going to be the first resurrection. And one day the body and soul of all who have died in Christ will be resurrected. It's called the resurrection of the body. Romans chapter 8, 23 and, and 24. Peter preached this. Timothy uh, talked about this here. You see, when we think of the gospel I want you to think not only of the incarnation and its mystery, the virgin birth, the sinless life, the atoning death, but you've got to think of Christ's bodily resurrection. You've got to think of Christ's intercession in heaven. You've got to think of the, the, the resurrection of, of the redeemed by Christ at his return. I want to ask the question, will you be among the redeemed in that day? If you die tonight, have you a justified soul that will be made perfect in heaven? Someone said that when they get to heaven, I think it was Robert Murray McShane, they'll be surprised who is there. 
And they'll be more surprised by who's not there. But they'll be wonderfully surprised that they're there. But that surprise is rooted in this confident expectation. They'll be full of gladness and joy. Oh, I could ask you tonight, do you understand? You're a child of God. You're fully and finally free from sin. You're free from all failure in the flesh, free from all temptation to sin, free from all trials and troubles in this life, free from fear, free from worry, free from pain, free to enjoy all that God is, all that God has for you in Christ, free to enjoy Christ to the fullest degree. This is the great focus. This is the hope of eternal life that we have in Christ. I want you to think of the feature of this hope to eternal life. As I've tried to emphasize that hope is here and now. In hope of eternal life. It's, it's at the present time. You see, it, it's, it's at this moment. Remember Job? He lost all that he had. The farm, his fortune, his family. Think of his body wrecked with pain, his mind. He couldn't sleep. Maybe you're listening to me right now and you're not able to sleep. But listen to what Job was able to say. Over there in Job chapter 19 and in the um, verse 25, he said this, For I know that my Redeemer liveth, and that he shall stand in the latter day upon the earth, and though after my skin worms destroy this body, in my flesh shall I see God, whom I shall see for myself, and mine own eyes shall behold, and not another, though my reins be consumed within me. You see, he filled his heart and mind with the promise that he possessed now. That's the feature that we should focus on. That feature is rooted in what God has promised. God has purchased in Christ. God has provided in Christ. And he was gripped with a confident expectation of that fulfillment. Very quickly, here's the fourth thought. The foundation of this hope, what's it founded on? If you go back to Colossians, Colossians chapter uh, 1, and it says in verse 1 and 2, um, and the acknowledging of the truth, which is after godliness and hope of eternal life. You see, there's a link here. The foundation of this hope to eternal life is rooted in the truth of the gospel. It rests on that impregnable foundation, the saving work of Jesus Christ. As I've said, Christ was born for us, lived for us, died for us, rose again for us. Ascended for us. We're seated in him. He intercedes for us. We can lay hold of Christ. His person, his purpose, his passion, his power, his pardon. Christ is praying for you right now. You're on his heart. He bears you up on his shoulders. And, and that hope is meant to be an anchor to the soul. You see, how many people as they journey through life with no hope, they maybe lose their job, they lose their health, they lose their money, their loved ones are taken away, they lose their reputation, they lose their respect. What does it rest on? It rests on this no matter what happens on the journey. Because you've got an anchor to the soul which is Christ. And no matter what change takes place, 
you rest in that saving work of Christ. You rest in the sweet word of Christ. Eternal life, which God that cannot lie promised before the world began. You see, you can't promise something to someone unless that someone is present. And to whom did the Lord make the promise? It wasn't to Titus. It wasn't to the people of God in Crete. It wasn't to you and me. It, it was, certainly wasn't to Adam. It wasn't to the angels. It wasn't with any made moral man. It was made with Christ, the Son of God. He's the one to whom God promised in the covenant of redemption before the world began that he would give eternal life to all who receive Christ as Lord and Savior. And you want something? One believer in Christ can't fail then to reach heaven. Because if he did, it would make God to be a liar. And we here we have in the scripture, God cannot lie. There's nothing more certain. There's something that God cannot do. He cannot lie. And if you read Hebrews chapter 6, verses 9 to 10 and 20, God swear by himself. He could swear by no greater. He, he, he invoked his own name. It's not the foundation. Think of the faith that this hope was we finish. It says, according to the faith of God's elect and the acknowledging of the truth, which is after godliness and hope of eternal life. You see, hope is instructively linked to faith. Think of the words, the faith of God's elect. And over in Romans chapter 5, uh, we read in verse 5 uh, these words, And hope maketh not a shame, because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts, which is given to us by the Holy Ghost. And the point that was being made here is by whom also we have access by faith into this grace wherein we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. See, faith in Christ. Faith is forsaking all. I trust him. Heart of the gospel. Heart of the personal work of Christ. That hope that we have is rooted in and is linked to the very day and the fact that we have laid hold in Christ for eternal life. Have you a glimpse of Christ tonight? Is your circumstances bad and hard? Are you experiencing dark troubles? Are you worried about the evil that abounds in the country? Well, where's our hope? Well, there's such a thing as the faith of this hope. It's linked to faith. Think as we finish... The fruit of this hope, it's according to godliness. You see, the, the fruit of a living faith leads to the fruit of a, a lively hope. We're not saved by a life of godliness. But if we are saved, genuinely born again, you will live a life of godliness. Because the life of God has been planted in your soul. The gospel provides for the fruit of a holy life. Not just soul winning, which is important. And I encourage you to win souls this year for Jesus Christ. Someone sent me a little invitation um, through WhatsApp and it says um, how to get people to come to church. Well, do you know 89% out of 100, this is the chief way? A friend invited me. An acquaintance asked me to come. A family member asked me to come. And that's important that you do that because faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Holiness, not, not sinless perfection. 
We, we grieve and mourn and hate our sins, but there, there's a spirit of holiness planted in us. There's a spirit of giving. There, there's, the, there's the fruit of the spirit, a ninefold fruit. How many have no fruit? How many have just an empty profession? And, and they have no fruit of this hope of eternal life because it's not according to godliness. And one I, final thing, and I say this as we finish, the forever of this hope. You see, if you have this hope of eternal life, you'll keep your eye on the Redeemer, no matter what happens. You'll keep your eye on the reward. And the reward is heaven and home. You'll endeavor to live a life of loving service. You'll endeavor to live a life of cheerful service, faithful service. See, I stress this because many have no hope. Because many are playing the fool. They're living without God and they're living without Christ. Is that true of you tonight? You are listening. Perhaps there's some lost soul out there and you're saying, but I've got no hope, pastor, preacher. Then we recommend this to you. Christ in you, the hope of glory. You can have this forever hope that will never fade, never be done away with. Because this hope is the hope of God in the gospel. In hope of eternal life which God that cannot lie promised before the world began. May the Lord take these few thoughts and bless them to you tonight as we have sought to endeavor to open up this text of scripture.